Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. Of course, we are still talking about Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man, where all of this insanity began. And back with us today is Heidi Bennett from the Vibrant Visionaries podcast. Hey, Heidi. Howdy, howdy. Today, we are digging into Minute 19, which starts with Yinsen cooking some beans and ends with Yinsen revealing that he's met Tony before. Bum, bum, bum. It, it, it's like, you know, we cut from the horror show of Tony yanking that thing out of his face and discovering that he's now plugged into a car battery to the campfire vibe, right? I mean, totally. it just, it's, it's almost charming. It, it's totally designed, I think, to dispel all of the horror that we just experienced, right? Because it yeah. goes from like this is a this is an edit that's for the kids. <laughs> because it's like it's not a horror movie, kids. Really, it's not. Look, he's whistling <laughs> and he's making beans at the campfire. Let's have some fun. It's perfect, and and it also you know it answers all the mysteries about his chest and his wounds in one minute, right? I mean, we get everything we get beans we get i saved your life and we here are the beans. things that were in you beans and barbs beans and barbs <laughs> and uh i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and, and explain all of this stuff for you and explain some of the lore and they get it in really efficiently in this minute yeah and you get his smile too yeah we needed that yeah, it's a very efficient minute in that they designed it that way. And I like that because exposition can be painful at times. And this way, it's it's storytelling done in an efficient way. And I think by kind of showing us the little jar of the his souvenir here, look what I've got for you. And you see the little pieces that just it's it's additional exposition. to So we know what's going on, but it's done in a way that I think gives you kind of a visual and it allows for the storytelling to uh, not just get bogged down in the talking because, I mean, it's it's definitely talking about what he did. I just love having that visual, though. Yeah. Well, and they bring up the atrial septum. <laughs> yes. I'm looking at pictures of it. You can find pictures and cross sections of the heart. And Mm. it's it's not good for those who are squeamish. Please don't look. I'll pass. (laughs) I'll pass on that. (laughs) It's not good. Well, and and so so it's clear the atrial septum is the is the basically the dividing wall between the two atriums of your heart, the left right. and right atriums. And so it's interesting that it's it, it seems very specific, doesn't it? Like it's not just aiming for the heart. No, it's they need to go for, yeah, all the way in. Like it's going to puncture your atrial septum. Yeah, and then what? So your heart is uh, just is a sack now? It's just an open thing. I, I don't know. I, well, I guess so. My medical I mean, it, training did not prepare me for Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine what happens. Well, there are defects like the atrial septal defects where the wall between your left and right atrium mm-hmm. ruptures. Well, it doesn't close after birth. The ASD is it never actually officially closed. And, I, you know, the two atriums uh, are obviously, you know, the oxygenated blood and the, the blood that's heading off to get oxygen. And so obviously mixing them 
is quite a problem. So I can see why it would create issues. But I do feel like if this is that crazy comic book lore, like this is what's going to happen. And that's why there are so many barbs in your chest that we had to put a magnet in there to keep them from moving any closer. Like it can't suck them out of the chest, but they're going to keep them from moving any closer to it. Now, does that bug you? I mean, as somebody who's read a lot of the comic, does that give you pause that we're just going to freeze these things? (laughs) We're going to freeze these razor sharp barbs of shrapnel. We're going to freeze them in your constantly moving and pumping heart tissue and you're going to be fine. It's a strange choice. (laughs) (laughs) I I've never quite let that go. I've never quite let that go. I know that I should. I know I should just move on. Yeah, I I don't know how smart it is uh, in the context of actual real world injuries. But I think for me, it is one of those things that I've let go because it is a comic book movie. This is kind of one of those things that just happens. And, uh, you know, it's the thing that makes Iron Man Iron Man. So I find myself, I guess, much more forgiving of it because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of the reason that I I am able to just sort of not let go but move on is that they show us the barbs, right? And as soon as they show you the barbs backlit in that little jar, uh, that's the other thing that you always think about, at least for me, that I always think about when I see Tony and I see the arc reactor in his chest. I'm thinking specifically about that that shot of the barbs and how, well, you know, atrial septum magnet whatever did you see those barbs and that is seared into my into my brain as a source of great terror and uh that that lets me move on with the story yeah i just kind of thought i'm not going to try to have to understand this i mean i get the gist of it so let's move on because it's fantasy (laughs) it's not reality (laughs) (laughs) wait what (laughs) it it is horrific though to think that tony goes years with barbs like that like those are big barbs like when you look at them it's not like you know microscopic ones that he was pulling out i mean these are like fingernail clipping size (laughs) that are (laughs) they're huge things that he was pulling out it's like why couldn't he just get the rest out i I don't but you know okay i got a i got a sidebar uh i had a dog a labrador retriever named stormy and she killed a farmer's chicken. I, I swear, this sounds like it's out of a book. It's not. It really happened. The farmer shot my dog with a shotgun, and we were able to take the dog to the hospital or to the vet, and they pulled out a lot of the buckshot, but weren't able to get it all. Six years later, my dog died because one of the pieces of buckshot actually busted through mm. her lung, and she aspirated. I was going to ask if it was the atrial septum, but it was the lung. No, it was a lung thing. But those like uh, that for me is actually, uh, you know, that it moved into to my dog's lung is a thing that, you know, I was able to kind of work with. But this is this is the barbs in his heart that I just had a little trouble with the magnet keeping those things from moving. I, I, I just had a problem with that. I, I saw this now with with the magnet. And I think, why didn't we get one of these for my dog? Uh, because that would have been awesome. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is the vet clearly just needed to install an <laughs> electromagnet in your dog's that would have been chest. A glowing magnet <laughs> in my dog's chest would have been so boss. That would have been great. The uh, a, An interesting difference with the comic book is that in the film, they went straight for the circular piece in his chest that becomes so iconic with Iron Man. In the comic book, 
um, they that comes much later. What they build initially is it, he has to wear his entire suit. He has the whole suit on, and the entire suit is what is keeping him mm-hmm. uh, protected. And and he goes on wearing that suit for a very long time. It's under his clothes all the time. And what's really inefficient about it back in the day is that he always, and this was actually, it worked well in the world of comic books because the reason that he so often is struggling against the the villains that he's fighting against is because it's running out of juice and he has to go plug himself <laughs> in again. <laughs> I can only imagine that in the film. Yeah, <laughs> totally. He has to step into a charger. Right. <laughs> That'd be exactly. so good. Well, that's that was always the, the best in some of the comics where he's like, oh, I just got to get to an outlet. And he'd like plug himself in. Oh, there we go. And then the old Iron Man would get out there and defeat the villain. <laughs> Too funny. You know, I like in this minute, uh, speaking of sound design like we were in the last minute, there's a, mm-hmm. a great hum that builds as as Tony is kind of moving the mirror around and he's he he looks at it. As soon as it kind of that mirror goes from his face down to the electromagnet, um, this great hum just rises up and it's it's just it speaks well to uh the sound design is again as we were talking about before, but it's just it it gives it I think it it something about the sound design keeps making me feel uncomfortable with the electromagnet. And I, I think they, they're doing that on purpose, and I love it. Yeah, I love it, too. It's interesting. What I'm noticing more about this minute is how we were saying it's such a contrast to last minute. But also with Tony himself, he goes from the looking sort of paralyzed with fear to, oh, here's some beans and whistling. And then he's sitting upwards. He has his like Tony bravado back on. I mean, he just looks like a confident, curious fellow again. And it seems like he's moved very quickly. And even the way he zips up his um, jacket over the, you know, his new (laughs) magnet circle, it, it just, he's, and the way Jensen tosses him the bottle with the shards in it and he grabs it with ease. It's just this confidence and ease that happens here where he's just taking in the info. You know, so he's being very consistently starky here, I guess. Consistently starky. Yes. I like that. <laughs> I, you know, the thing that I, I noticed, and this is sort of a combination in the with the sound and the, you know, that hum you're talking about, Andy, too, is that his attitude seems to change when he notices that he's being watched right that you see the the shot where we look at Yinsen and he says oh yeah they're they're watching we cut back to tony and he's there there's this shot where he's looking his eyeline is at Yinsen and then it goes you know deliberately off into the middle distance and you get this feeling right at the very last second of the minute that he is he has just made something has just changed that all of the the um, the surgery that he's overcome, the beans that he has to eat, the story that he has to live with now, something has changed. And I get the feeling that he's about to take control hmm. of whatever comes next. Well, as we've seen so far in the film, he's a guy who very much is always in control. He's He always knows what's going on in the situations and handles it and takes control in ways that make sense for that rich playboy type of character. And 
you can see that. And it's a great point, Heidi, that here is this moment where he's like, it starts with him, like, look at this horrific thing. And he's like, what the hell did you do to me? And as he absorbs it, I mean, he's a scientific genius and he kind of absorbs it quickly. And I feel like he understands it quickly. He really starts turning that starkiness back on. It's it's nicely performed here. So orange and teal. Have you guys talked about orange and teal yet on this? This is a. <laughs> these are some rather orange and tealy minutes, also. Totally. We haven't. Uh, I don't think we've had as much cause yet. But it. When did that trend really kick in? It was. It was in the nineties. I feel like maybe. Yeah, I I remember, I, I'm not sure when it really kicked in. I remember noticing it mostly in um, The Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of orange and teal in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the, yeah. the place that's most obvious, uh, and maybe it's just because it's it's such a, a, a thing that you stare at for such a much longer period of time, um, is just a movie poster. You know, you're you're looking at that image, it's not constantly changing. And I feel like the trend of that orange and teal in movie posters has just just grown exponentially over the years. Um, but yeah, in films, I, I definitely think that it's uh, something that's been growing over the last several decades. And it is, yeah, you got the orange. And I guess it makes sense in context here. You've got the orange fire mm-hmm. and then the, the teal, that blue for the cave, just to kind of give it that cave vibe. Um so in this sense, I guess I'd say it works in this particular world. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I think it works really well. And I think our brains are tuned to those colors. I mean, this is these are the colors of sunset. You know, I mean, this is this is the color, this color pairing. It's a color of nature. It's a color of what is always around us. And I think that's why we find we have such an affinity to it. And I know, you know, I, I think, you know, whenever I'm behind a camera, like that's what I'm I'm looking for, because it's so easy to stop people when they see that orange and teal somehow mixed. It's it just always sort of naturally works you can do so much with it and here it adds so much to the mood you know it gives us a sense of of that you know we have this warmth that's right in front of us right it's the warmth of generosity of dr yinsen who has just saved his life but we're still in a very cold place and and so it's this the color pairing is is uh, such an exercise in um in distinct contrasts here the emotional contrast that we get for uh, the humanity of the experience and the coldness of the place i think it, it's just so natural Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of reading up on it right now. Uh, I It looks like people have been talking about it. I mean, it's been a conversation topic for uh, a very long time, but it sounds like some people are pinning it down to Oh Brother, Where Art Thou back in 2000 because that was the uh, the first film to be scanned onto a hard drive in its entirety to create the digital intermediate so that they could jump in and really play with the colors. And that is where kind of this trend, uh, it began because they could really play with the colors to create exactly the looks that they wanted. Now that you say that, I thought you was a toad. <laughs> now that you say that, it, yeah, that, ring, that, that uh, rings a bell. You know, the, I, I do remember that they did a lot of fancy um, color play in, that, in yeah. that film. Well, anything else for this minute, guys? Not from me. That's what I got. All right. Well, Heidi, thanks again for joining us. Uh, Where can people find you? 
you can find me at vibrantvisionaries.com. And um, I'm also a coach for creative people. So I'm a coach, professional coach for professional multi-creatives. And if you're wondering what the heck that means, you can go to HeidiBennett.com, H-E-I-D-I-B-E-N-N-E-T-T.com. Fantastic. Well, that is it for today's show, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash The Next Reel. Until next time, true believers. True believers.